Hey, before we get going, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, eToro. Let's talk about trading. Maybe your MO is just stacking sats once a week, or you're one of those cowboy altcoin traders who go deep into technical analysis. I don't know. Maybe you're just a muggle and you're trying to get into this whole cyber cash thing. Maybe you actually do want to put some skin in the game, but you have no idea where to begin. Now there's one trading app for all of that. eToro. It's a trading platform and mobile app that lets you buy and sell cryptocurrency. And it's also the number one social trading platform in the world. Listeners, you might even be asking, what the hell is a social trading platform? Copy trading is a feature that lets you mirror the actions of top traders on the platform. This way, you can learn about due diligence and all the other technical things it might take months to pick up on your own just by copying the behavior of the top traders on the platform. So head over to eToro.com and get started on your portfolio today. eToro, smart crypto trading made easy. Welcome, welcome. This is the Bitcoin Magazine Podcast. I'm Dave Hollerith. This episode, we've got an interview with Catherine Culley, CEO of Binance US. Some context here. Binance is the largest cryptocurrency exchange in the world, but historically, they haven't competed in the US. That is until a few months ago when Binance US launched. To remain compliant with regulators, Binance US is its own company, but their trading volume is counted towards Binance's overall global transaction footprint. In October, during the time that Binance US launched, Binance captured 60% of legitimate cryptocurrency trading volume, their highest share of the global market since March. In this interview, Coley explains how Binance US happened, what it's been like to face competitive and regulatory hurdles launching a cryptocurrency exchange, and now what stage they're at coming to the end of their first quarter. Trying to understand the inner workings of what makes a cryptocurrency exchange tick is obviously pretty crucial to the industry. A recent research report put out by The Block actually showed that about 40% of the professionals who do work in cryptocurrency work for an exchange. That's all well and good, but there's a majority of people out there who are speaking and talking about how if the industry is to continue to grow, other types of businesses have to become profitable. A big area that's seen a lot of promise in the last couple of months is lending and borrowing. Our show sponsor, the Celsius Network, is one of these types of companies. The TLDR version of it is, the Celsius Network lets you earn interest on your crypto and instantly borrow against it. And there are no fees, ever. There are more than 50,000 active wallets using their services. And right now, they're offering users 10% annual interest on their crypto deposits. That's right, I kid you not, 10% annual interest on crypto deposits. That's not only unheard of in the traditional banking industry, it's also a pretty good deal from a crypto company. And right now, the Celsius Network is giving our listeners, you guys, $10 in BTC when you make a deposit of 200 or more dollars in crypto or stable coins by using the promo code BitcoinMag. Again, the promo code is BitcoinMag. Check out their website today. Now, here's my interview with Catherine Coley. Hey, Catherine. Welcome to the Bitcoin Magazine podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Dave. Yeah. So you're all over the place and I want to know what you've been doing lately. You've done like 
it seems like you do an AMA like every night. It's, it's not too uh, not too yeah. hard to find what we're talking about. So sure. yeah, last night's AMA uh, took place uh, about 6 p.m. or so on the West Coast. Prior to that, I had been in New York for a couple of uh, events uh, kind of on that. Then we had SF Blockchain Week and we had LA Blockchain Week. And then before that, we launched. So uh, yeah, it does seem like it's been a little bit of a worldwide tour, but um, still really U- United States focused, which is nice. You're in San Francisco right now, correct? Mm-hmm. Correct, yeah. I moved out here actually from London um, when I left uh, Wall Street. So I did uh, two years in London and four years in Hong Kong prior, um, all within Morgan Stanley Foreign Exchange. And then kind of picked my head up and said, I could really go anywhere, but I didn't want to give up those you know, hard hard years of, of learning markets. And so I said, how can we apply this to, to technology in this other you know, other arena that I had no familiarity with called, uh, you know, the West Coast. <laughs> I thought you were going to say called crypto. Oh, um, no, it was the West Coast first with yeah. crypto as a, as a backbone, knowing that's kind of where things were butting up. And then, you know, most people would have the, the debate between New York and San Francisco in terms of which one's going to be kind of the crypto capital. And frankly, I think the whole point of crypto is that we don't have a capital. <laughs> True. <laughs> really, any, any, anywhere and anyone, um, you know, Twitter probably is the, the largest concentration of activity in terms of geography. But my sister and I had a, had a funny pact when we were little around, she got New York and I got the world. So I stayed true to my word and uh, I've let her uh, enjoy about 15 years in New York and Brooklyn and taken over uh, the rest of the parts on my own. I, I think I would take the world over New York. Uh, but, Many uh, people would disagree. So who knows? <laughs> both, uh, both of interesting lives. <laughs> so, okay. So, so Binance US, you guys are in San Francisco. I know you're really decentralized. Like, is there actually a Binance US office or... Yeah. So, um, you know, for elements of how early we're starting off and, and in, in kind of the essence of, of Binance US being a separate company and, and kind of can carry over cultural elements, but also create some of our own. Um, we do have offices um, in uh, San Francisco. So we're all sitting here. Um, a couple of our team members are in DC on the regulatory and legal side. Um, so, I, you know, it's a lot easier to find someone that knows and loves DC than it is to find a San Francisco person that wants to spend two weeks out every month there. So, you know, we've, we've got a great team out in um, DC that's purely focused on um, kind of the regulatory front. So that's great to have them local there. And then our San Francisco team here includes, you know, our finance, our customer support, our uh, compliance and um, security and people. And, and how many people are your San Francisco office, like as of now? Yeah, we're, we're pretty much like sub 10 um, across the United States. So today we've got probably five of us in the office with a couple people working remote. But, you know, the elements of our, our job and, and how we're expanding, expecting to build a, kind of a company that embraces technology, not only on a cryptocurrency front, but on kind of all elements that can make us a faster, better, stronger organization. One of the beautiful things has been the way that we can communicate doesn't require us to be facing each other. Yeah. And you guys have like done arguably some pretty incredible work the last two months. You've, you've basically been launched and open in the U.S. for the last two months. You operate in some states, not all states, and that's like the big hurdle, obviously, is like regulations. Can you sort of tell me where Binance U.S. is just in terms of regulations, uh, which states you're, you're working towards or like how many generally? 
Yeah, absolutely. So when we launched, we launched with um, seven coins uh, offered um, to 37 states. Um, so that requires that you have a proof of address from one of the 37 states that we are operating in. And then uh, as well that we expanded it to Puerto Rico um, as an additional area of where we are able to service clients there. The ones that are remaining, there are about 13 that we are not able to operate in right now. Um, unfortunately, they're kind of the ones that are close to my own home. Um, so you've got Florida, Georgia, and North Carolina, uh, Louisiana, Alabama, Texas, a few others, New York included. And so there are some really strong states with great and vibrant uh, crypto communities. And, and I hear them every day on, on Twitter of, you know, when Connecticut, when, um, when Texas, and, and realize that it's, it's a good thing to know people are eager to join our platform. It's a terrible thing to know that we can't operate there yet. So going through the state-by-state -state licenses uh, is a requirement for um, being able to operate in certain states uh, and jurisdictions that require money, uh, MT or money transmitter licenses. Um, so that's kind of our core focus as well as being able to bring access to users through an app, being able to focus on access as the first part, delivering uh, you know, in-hand mobile access as well as uh, across more states. Those are kind of our two main focuses, I'd say, for our first quarter out of the gates. And actually getting validated in a state, is that's just applying and getting a money transfer service license? Is that pretty much it? Yeah, money transmission. So it's, um, I, w I wish it was as easy as saying the word application sounds, but consider it more like, um, you know, college admissions where every state has a different essay question that they ask you to do. Um, so each state has its own uh, regulations and, and applications that require kind of uh, advanced focus and delivery of, of what they're asking for. So uh, really, it's quite a customized process state by state, and you hear back from them at different times. So my easiest way of connecting it is that uh, college application process where there isn't really a common application uh, that you can get a blanket licensing for. Kind of have to make sure that these are the best college essays you've ever written. I, I mean, I imagine you didn't like New York's, but was there any, any state where you're like, actually, that was a fairly easy application? <laughs> I think they get easier and easier as we go because we're, you know, a lot of the, the fill-ins do look similar to the ones that we've previously filled out. But being able to know exactly what we're going to be offering in that state um, is something that we want to be proactive and, and plan for. And so being able to come up with the, you know, the foresight for our planning as we go out already um, when we're considering operating in a state is something that it takes, it takes a little bit of more effort than, yeah. than people are assuming, I think. But so, do, so does running an exchange. <laughs> so there's a, lot of, there's a lot of fun components people don't see. I often think that there needs to be like a GoPro or a Nest Cam for people to, to witness what fun things happen over here. Given our size of our team, how, how small we are, but yet we're able to license globally validated technology and uh, a globally recognized brand. You know, some people might take for granted how many hats we wear and, and kind of uh, how scrappy we are um, in terms of our efforts. Yeah, can you sort of define the relationship relationship between uh, Binance and Binance US? Yeah, Binance US is a separate company, you know, FinCEN registered here in the United States um, to be operating as a digital asset marketplace, um, really focused on providing not only the freedom of choice for our users, but uh, an ease of access and um, global community that you're actually a part of um, in terms of interacting through uh, the experiences that you have with Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrencies. So I think there's a much larger global conversation that could be had. And the benefit that we get to use is, as I said, kind of globally validated technology. So we're able to license Binance.com's 
and Binance Global's uh, technology for the purposes of suiting our customers while we are also rolling out the platform within the U.S. regulations. Yeah, yeah. No easy feat. Catherine, I want to know how you actually got this role because I actually have a theory. Oh, I want to hear it. Like what came first, Binance US or you getting hired? Oh, they definitely are um, one one and the other together. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, so it was pretty interesting. I mean, I, I my first foray or, or step into to crypto is really just around the personal frustrations of moving my own capital from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, given I lived internationally. So my first paycheck was in Hong Kong dollars, which you think is a fine currency until you realize, well, it's you know hard to pay for a flight somewhere else in Hong Kong dollars when that, that's not the accepted currency. So was burdened pretty quickly on as well as familiar with FX markets slash obsessed with global markets. And so crypto was like, oh, well, this this will let me seamlessly move around the world and be able to encourage this you know global mindset that I really, I think has been a huge benefit to my own happiness and understanding of other people. And so I was like, oh, perfect. This is what crypto is going to solve this. But the thing that I lacked was the infrastructure to let me access this stuff. So when I, you know, when I was first learning about Bitcoin, um, some of the components of it just didn't resonate with me given I had spent most of my career in a centralized organization like a bank and was really fee focused and was like, okay, 20 bucks for a transaction. And I'm going to be doing this all the time. Yo, not, not, not necessarily worth it, et cetera. But then there was no other way to access these other currencies that moved faster or had a cheaper spend uh, or cost. So I had to go work for them. So, you know, I, I've been kind of dedicated to jumping in and making sure I can build the things that I really want in life. And one of the components, even after two years at Ripple, was recognizing that the U.S. still had room for uh, an opportunity to have like a seamless trading experience that others were able to experience globally with finance. So I had kind of kept them on a radar clearly as, as a group that I respected entirely. We've kind of started our crypto journeys around the same time that like summer of 2017. And so being able to see them grow as I was watching the markets and being actively involved in them definitely kept my eye on them. But the thing I didn't expect was about a year ago, we went to a Cumberland event in Singapore. You know, thank goodness I got the invite for that Cumberland event. It happened to be run by my Hong Kong karaoke partner, uh, Justin Chow from a prior life. Uh, So got got the invite that way. And then sat down on the bus next to a guy uh, and started talking and it happened to be the CFO of Binance. So from a bus conversation, uh, anything is possible. But we recognize that uh, like for like, we were fish out of water recognizing that there's so much that this technology can offer and help. We is from Alabama. I was from Florida. We had a bit of a common bond in that. And yet we both had experience in Asia and finance and just a lot of overlapping respect for each other. Uh, So the conversation kicked off from there. And we really just kept in touch, um, understanding how the market was evolving, evaluating how we both perceived uh, certain aspects of the market. And then uh, early, earlier this year, um, the time came and, and kind of was trying to figure out our ways to make this work together. Um, and there were elements where, you know, my skill set of understanding the exchange world, the market maker world, the institutions, and, you know, ability to understand the protocol levels could really be beneficial and how we could make this work uh, what it would what, what it would look like so once we kind of had the, had the framework together and a, and a, many of many of conversations between several of the key players the idea was spun up so hence Binance US was born oh wow and we all lived happily ever after no. <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 but 
was I right? You came in and met them and, and this is how, how Bonnie SUS ha- happened. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. And I, and I, I feel, feel bad for folks that had the impression that, you know, CZ and the Binance team was never going to be active or looking into working into the United States. And meanwhile, few people had known that I that bus meeting had happened. So for all the efforts um, that they were not entering the United States, the relationship and my bond with the, with their team was growing at the same time. So I think with that, you know, confidence in, in a local partnership that could take place, we um, seem to work out all right. You're just hinting at it, but why do you think it has taken Binance so long to get into the American market? I mean, when you think about the opportunities in cryptocurrency in general, and you think about the from kind of two parts, one being the native use case and awareness of why it is necessary or why it works, Asia especially, but the rest of the world outside of the United States is burdened daily by cross-border transactions. You know, the, the idea that every flight out of Singapore is an international flight just raises the awareness to people recognizing that like your Singaporean dollar is only useful and it's, you know, a small city state. So if you're moving, you know, going to Malaysia, paying for your gas there, you're going to be having ringgit. Like it, it's a constant and daily process. And I, even living in Hong Kong, you know, your wallet would have probably any anywhere between like six and seven currencies stuffed in it uh, just because the mobility within Asia is so rampant as well as the burdens of currencies. And so that's why you see, you know, an advancement of mobile payments taking place and kind of these leapfrog measures happening in Asia. And that that also ties into another side of it, whereas the risk appetite outside of the United States for a, a solution is much higher. So, you know, you've kind of already seen the, the countries of Europe come together under a unified currency plan. So there's, you know, the efforts and appetites for that are somewhat subdued. Going from Italy to France is taken care of for you by the euro. But for for Asia, there's as well that um, heightened sense of, of risk appetite for the idea that if the solution does work out or if there is a, a higher return expected on, on even, you know, their equities, for instance, you know, the appetite to invest is, is higher. Disposable capital as well or is uh, quite robust in, in Asia and blossoming outside of the United States as well. So when I'm when I'm zooming out on really why would you go into the United States if you could, you know, continue to develop a global ecosystem that really needs this, wants this and, and demands it, the United States doesn't necessarily welcome it uh, with open arms. There, there's the burdens of regulation, there's the already quite robust and, you know, I think it's funny, we call them legacy systems when they're still the systems they're used today. Um, but capital markets here are, are, you know, some of the strongest in the world. You've got really, you know, healthy alternatives for capital growth that take place within the United States that you don't necessarily get in other developing countries. So there's a lot to be gained not entering the United States. And so therefore, Binance US is, uh, you know, separate company really focused purely on the United States. So I am able to make all of those difficulties slash, uh, you know, headwinds, you would call it my opportunities, which helps us focus and, you know, not be distracted by the bounty of opportunities outside because Mm -hmm. I know Binance.com and CZ is going to be taking care of those. Um, so it's kind of a reverse focus to how my prior career has been, but one that I'm, I'm still really excited about. Yeah, that's a, that was a hell of an answer. Sorry. <laughs> uh, this is what happens. I was explaining to you that I, I didn't get my lunch break in. So uh, the hungrier I am, the more wordy I get. So I'll try to be short. <laughs> 
Yeah, so I think it's like on your Twitter, you literally have a post that says, please direct message me if any issues on Binance US are not resolved within two days. So to me, you know, we were talking about what you do and what it takes to run an exchange. I was actually wondering, like, it sounds like you are actually handling a lot of customer service yourself. Is that true? That's a, a, absolutely true. But also like not to take credit away from our, our customer support team that actually does uh, yeah. respond pretty quickly to, you know, the other many uh, questions that go out. But if you, if you do have problems, I do respond to them. Take your feedback. I take your um, complaints. The only people I don't reply back to are the ones that just say hi or are the folks that love to start off with something inappropriate that doesn't need my response. So I'll try and chirp in a lot of times when I'm slow to reply. It's because I'm in the middle of, of one of these uh podcasts or potentially, uh, you know, trying to catch a couple uh, hours of sleep. But I really do think that there's been such a difficulty with getting through these processes, given they are for the first time ever being part of our world. You know, the intuitiveness of adopting different technologies. I think about all the apps that I have on my phone that I've just downloaded and begun to use. They're a little bit easier to, to go about than something where your own personal capital is being involved and your bank accounts are being linked and you're you know, going through a KYC process. So uh, it does take a little bit of handholding and uh, I'm here for that. I don't think that tension to customers for sake of needing to scale faster is something we should neglect. If it doesn't resonate for you or, or you're having difficulty with it, I don't want you to, I don't want you to stop or slow down. I just want you to raise your hand and, and we can walk through it together. So whether that's on our part of making more intuitive features on our product or having a more robust FAQs or just being here for your, your every, um, every other pause or question. Um, we can work through about 99% of the problems and a couple of them, you know, I'm stuck and who knows exactly who I'm talking to on the other line and I might be being taken for a go there. So maybe that's why we can't resolve their issue. But this, the landscape is what really fascinates me because I'm not getting questions just from folks based in San Francisco or New York or, or you know, these, these coastal kind of hubs of where I would think the adoption would be starting. I'm getting, you know, great responses from Ohio, from Texas people that are, you know, telling me all that they're working on within Texas that they can't get access to this and I'm slowing down their own development, which uh, is a burden I don't like to bear. But it's really given us a great sense of how functional our product can be and what we do need to improve upon it. And the way that we operate internally, we're able to make those changes instantly or as soon as possible. So uh, I find this hugely validating. I also just think it's, you know, what better information than real time. So hearing people's steps, I've made the same mistakes a couple of times. I'm like, oh, I clicked on my dashboard, but I didn't click on my wallet. So yeah. all right, I can make that more intuitive because uh, I keep doing the same things over and over again. What are the most common questions that people come to you with? Yeah, we've, well, other than when and the insert their state uh, is probably the most common question I've gotten. Um, the second, the second kind of realm is I've been able to go through the process, but I don't know why or what I'm doing for the advanced basic and fiat verification levels. So guiding them through, you know, why they need to be going through the fiat verification. If you are looking for your $15 referral, it's probably because you haven't completed your fiat verification level, which really just the fiat verification allows for you to have a dollar wallet and inside that dollar wallet, once it's set up is where your $15 can go. But 
if, if, you know, if there's something where you haven't been, uh, haven't received a referral or you don't know where to go to find your referral code, I'm happy to help you guys out there on, on that, on that side. And it's a quick process online, um, just to make sure that we can get people who've forgotten their passwords, reset, you know, folks that are confused about ACH, which is a, you know, zero fees for deposit and withdrawal, getting them familiar with that, or we've implemented debit cards for, for you to use your debit card to put dollars onto the exchange as well, walking them through those steps. And we started doing kind of videos to show you what it's like to go through those steps as well, so that you're not timid about clicking a button that you might not, you know, know what happens beyond that button. So, you know, continuing to try to make the process more uh, educate you, not intimidate you. So back to actually running an exchange. I mean, the thing that's like pretty clear is that you guys are coming in and right now you're a small team and you are doing some damage, but you have to compete with not only like these legacy financial institutions, but also like even now, uh, legacy cryptocurrency exchanges just in terms of the industry, I guess. I was curious, how do you think you guys are, are doing that successfully? Yeah, I mean, it, I always said it was like super entitled of me to consider Gemini and Coinbase and Kraken and the likes to be our peers, <laughs> given we were a month and a half old and quite a small team and not nearly at the same access levels that they were providing services to to U.S. users already yet. So I'll still say that like they they have they've done a wonderful job pioneering in this space, especially for the United States. You know what what has been needed to take place, what roads have been paved and forged before us. I think about the the issue with um, kind of banking partners has been made quite easy now, given that they've been able to prove the success and you know stability of these businesses. So major, major kudos to the teams that have been built and building the infrastructure as we know it. And, and with that comes kind of a, a slight, you know, you can always flip a coin and figure out if it's a positive or negative, but I consider our late arrival almost a positive in the sense that we're able to see a along the lines of their own roadmaps, what have worked, what has worked and what has not worked with the, with the U.S. retail um, and institutional audiences. So our, our, our elements are, you know, we, we know the technology that we're going to be delivering. We know kind of what we are aiming to stand for and bring to contribute to the community of broadly just U.S. consumers and, and users that want to be able to access and manage and grow their own personal capital. So from there, I think there's plenty more minds, voices, and opinions that we can get involved in crypto. And we're just doing our part to welcome those folks. Putting it quite simply, I feel like you guys have done an excellent job right out of the gate of uh, cutting transaction fees. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, one of the kind of lowering the barriers to entry is something that I think about having navigated really unwelcoming waters my whole life. Um, so, you know, it, these, these hurdles um, that are put in place are sometimes psychological and sometimes real. And, and some of those real ones include fees and, and cost to access markets. So if there is a you know, percentage that you're having to pay in order to get access to learn about crypto, you know, how can we lower that so that your learning process doesn't become a penalty to your own future development. So our, our, our process is now when you sign up with a, a U.S. Binance U.S. account, you get 30 days of free trading on top of getting $15 for setting up that account. And so the, the, the idea is that, you know, if you want to learn about crypto, start first with money that showed up in your account, start second with getting into testing out different trades without getting the penalty of, of transaction fees. And then really you'll, you'll gain a sense 
of competence and awareness of what you need to be doing in order to uh, increase that uh, amount or, or learn how it's going to be suited for your own needs. But I really think that the training process of getting people familiar and understanding, I'm, I myself am a kinetic learner. So for someone to tell me, you know, read the white paper and you'll figure out Bitcoin, it wasn't that easy for me. <laughs> I had to, to kind of poke it and prod it. And given there weren't that many previous models that felt or smelled or, or looked the same, it was difficult to, to get my you know head really wrapped around it. But trying out exchanges, understanding how they worked, you know, that was so familiar to me from a, an FX trading perspective that you know, hoping to be able to deliver something that connects with anyone. Yeah, not to keep harping on other exchanges, but like if you if you were to exclude Binance completely in the last couple of years, crypto or any kind of money, what do you think was an interesting thing done by an exchange? Like what's an interesting feature in the last couple of years you've seen where you're like, I appreciate that? I mean, I certainly appreciate the the drive down of trading fees that we've seen most recently from the traditional players. I think that's a, a clear symbol that, that they are going to be more innovative with their businesses and be able to create revenue streams that do not include just uh, you know taxing transactions. So I think that's something that says in the right direction, they're going to be providing services that are beyond just collecting uh, transaction fees. But with the idea that I think, uh, or definitely is the reason why I, I wanted to be a partner to Binance, is they think about changing of the space at a holistic level of the company and the community more so than just the product. So the, the product itself is you know, excellent. But more, more importantly is how they're running their teams, how they're running their engagement with their customers. And, and that to me has more layers of innovation that I want to be a part of uh, than, than just coming up with a cool feature set. And I imagine you guys are like hands full at the moment. You're still sort of in the launching phase, so to speak, in, in, in certain states. Part of me that wonders, is there any common reason you see users onboarding to Binance US? I think there's a couple elements that we see users coming over. One being, yes, the low fees and and the excitement of testing out a platform, being able to have that the confidence in the, the matching engine and then kind of experience that they've either seen before or are aware that that's how the rest of the world trades. So being able to talk in parallels with you know some of the largest players globally, it gives them an easy sense of, of understanding of how the markets are trading. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of from for your ambitious active trader that would want to be kind of keenly aware of how, how Binance US is going to be developing. The other one would be kind of just your, as the world works, frustrated uh, customers that, that want to try something new and, you know, might be fed up with fees, might be fed up with customer interactions or, you know, their own reasons for wanting to jump ship from where they currently set up shop. The last one is around just brand new entrants. So people that have maybe heard about something, but knew they did not have access to it previously. Now that we can open up access to US dollar on ramps for 25 coins. That gives some folks that were really followers of certain projects an area where they can be supportive of their activities there. And so we've, we've seen a great kind of rush from the communities where we've listed coins kind of come in. Um, and then at sometimes, you know, those communities are a little quieter than we would expect. And, uh, you know, you kind of have to ask, well, maybe they're all concentrated in states that we aren't operating in. Uh, yeah. But, but um, or maybe they're just uh, waiting for the Thanksgiving Day special where they might get $30 uh, when they let people sign up first 15. So who knows? We've done a good effort to lower those hurdles, encourage people that do have appetite for trading to uh, 
you know, receive better rates as their volume of trading goes up on our platform. And then anyone that's holding more than zero BNB uh, gets 25% off of their trading volume. And then as you grow with your volume uh, and you're kind of tiering, so does your discounts. So in the United States, we've got such a scale of no coin to devout daily, probably 100% crypto native. We really need to be able to offer a product that welcomes all parties, encourages consistency of, of trading from those that are active, and kind of helps people grow up into a crypto Native world. Um, I, you know, I think about how the generation after mine didn't know that Venmo didn't exist prior. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, it's how we would send money is is through that. Or I'm like, oh, really? We would, you know, feel like it was carrier pigeon when I was growing up. But you know, th- there's so many ways that people are going to be now adopting the technology because they see it as organic to their own lifestyle or beneficial to expanding their own opportunities. Yeah, I don't want to be talking too much about like future product offerings because I've like heard you on other podcasts and you know, like it's very clear you guys are like doing what you can right now. And the main move has been to try and be operating in all states. I mean, the beauty, the beauty of it is like given the license and the partnership that, that we have is you can see the, the plethora of features and elements that we could license and bring, bring over given all that Binance's ecosystem has built out. But the time question and the licensing question is really just what we are you know, focused on making sure that when we're building this out, it's being built for our U.S. consumers. So, you know, I want to know exactly what they're keen to get out of a future platform uh, before we start implementing, uh, you know, development on something. Of course, there's some elements where I'm, our team is raising our hand and saying, well, we'd actually like this, <laughs> you know. Yeah. The, uh, from day one, I wanted an app. So so that's, that's always been kind of in the car. The ability to have more coins than just, you know, five or so. I've always wanted to have that to make sense. There, there's so many features that we've been seeing from the market itself, from Binance. Um, you can guess that our, uh, we're making sure our appetite and our eyes are all aligned. So in general, how are you guys thinking about it? Are, are you thinking about features or is it a question about adoption, how you can like bring in more people? Great question. You know, I'm trying to find a metaphor for this, but it's a little bit of like once you know how to do something, you feel like the rest of the world is playing at your speed so that if you accelerate, the rest of the world will accelerate. And in reality, although we've, you know, you and I have both been privy to knowing where Bitcoin Magazine is, being involved in crypto Twitter and understanding the different projects that are popping up and the investments that are taking place on these, you know, revolutionary layers of technology. You got to remember, like at the end of the day, not everyone's heard of it. So I, uh, you know, I was in an Uber ride to uh, the high school classes that I was going to teach and, uh, you know, talking to the Uber driver and I was like, I'm really nervous. You know, I'm going back to high school for the first time since I graduated and let's just say I wasn't cool. And, uh, you know, I'm like, still having PTSD that they might beat me up for being such a nerd. But I told him, I was like, yeah, you know, I've run a cryptocurrency exchange. And he goes, oh yeah, that's that stuff, um, you know, all the football players do with their shoes off. And I, I, had, the, I had the longest time going like, what on earth? I'm like grabbing for straws to make sure there's some connection. And then I realized that he thought I ran a cryo therapy organization. Oh, like those freeze. Uh, like the freezers, right. Yeah. And I was like, oh my, what if every single time someone mentioned crypto, people thought we were talking about freezers? You're like yeah. some wellness coach. 
Yeah, you're like, I was, you know, I'm running, running this thing and it's great. Everyone from around the world can come and, you know, freeze and lower their inflammation. No. Um, so, you know, I educated him. I was like, oh, no, no, actually, sorry, crypto, not cryo. And then his eyes lit up because he was like, whoa, I could do this on, on the side of, of, you know, doing 30 rides a day on Uber. You know, he was saving up for college tuition for his daughter and, you know, just get that understanding that, you know, on top of this, there could be, you know, a second source of, you know, revenue for, for his life uh, outside of, you know, current currently driving for Uber and, and on top of his other side gigs. So, you know, it was really remarkable for him to put the dots together in a 15 minute car ride just once it was explained in person. And and maybe our narratives are not reaching the audiences that we think they are. And because we talk a lot to people that are already crypto fanatics, yeah. we missed the part that a lot of this might be resonating in an echo chamber. So, you know, I have to think that there's only a small portion of the world that is financially literate. There's going to be even a smaller portion of the world that's crypto literate. So what can we do to, you know, leapfrog financial literacy and get people ahead to crypto literacy and help that fill in the blanks uh, where they might be afraid to you know, discuss money or, or discuss wealth growth. And, and I think that's one of the, the bounties that this has built a global conversation about owning your own value. And that that's something that's really more important than we think. Uh, I just have three last questions. So you've lived in several major cities and on several different continents in your career. And I was just curious, uh, which city had the best food? Oh, that's Singapore for me, hands down. Singapore, uh, really? Yeah, the melting pot that is Singapore brings in Malaysian, Chinese, Tamil, which is like more towards Indian cuisine and English and often British uh, elements. So you get some of the greatest spices, some of the freshest fruits, um, you know, you're down by the equator. So everything is just quite ripe, really, really remarkable culinary experience. And it can happen based on hawker stands, which are places that you just sit outside and watch someone that's made the best uh, Hyannis chicken rice for the last, you know, century. And you sit outside and we're cycle your dishes and, and put them all together. So really a, a wonderful experience. So Singapore is the best. Uh, the funniest one, I, I lived in Denmark for six months and they have a tax on sugar. And I am a, you know, between gummy bears and frozen burritos, that's that's core subsistence of my um, wellness. But it, it, it was uh, interesting just to see the exorbitant priced sweets, but also no one there is uh, partaking. So yeah, is, is does it, co- it cost more? Oh my God. Yeah. It was like a, you know, bag of gummy bears would be like $15. It was crazy. Uh, They're smart. You know, you tax sugar and, you know, people aren't going to be inclined to use it, but they all look good over there in Denmark too. (laughs) Okay. Blockchain technology. Is there a meaningful use case of it outside of cryptocurrency? I think given that I fell in love with Excel early on for its benefits, uh, an advanced version of a database and a spreadsheet that can do the automation on behalf of a larger audience, not allowing uh, one central party to be the source of truth, that to me can work in any business. So it's just an element of, of making it fit and maybe taking away the hot button item of adding the word blockchain, but recognizing that you can have updating databases for all types of businesses. I think it's super useful. Yeah, and do you play an instrument? Uh, yeah, I uh, played my voice, I guess. I used to sing uh, acapella in high school and college and then uh, learned the piano when I was little. So I was gonna ask, if you had to be a musician, what instrument would you play? Bass. Bass? Bass, for sure. Yeah. You're the coolest person in the band and uh, you get the beat going. Yeah, cool, I think we can end on that. <laughs> Appreciate it, Dave. 
Bitcoin Magazine podcast is a BTC media produced podcast on the Let's Talk Bitcoin network. You can find us on Twitter at Bitcoin Magazine and you can find out about other engaging shows we produce by subscribing to our feed on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time.